Welcome to the Big Tent, and uh, the music you were just listening to was Ohm, uh, who will be playing tomorrow night at the Olympic in downtown Boise. Uh, but I'm your host today, uh, Luke Fowler, here with my co-host, Jackie Kettler, and this is the Big Tent on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. And, uh, you know, so it's uh, about 18 months until the next presidential election, <laughs> so perfect. You know, we're getting pretty close. Perfect timing for us to have a long, drawn-out conversation about the million people that are running for president already. Um, just because, you know, you're going to get so much of this at the 18 months. We might as well just go ahead and get started. We'll have lots of chances to talk about all of these things. All right, but I think we want to start with... Uh, kind of talking about like who and it was funny me and jackie were looking at the list of like the 24 or 26 candidates that are currently announced and we're like how many of these people are actually serious right um so we thought we'd kind of start with a conversation about what it means to be a quote-unquote serious candidate for president um yeah and i think it's a great question you know we can have a lot of people do those initial filings that are not very costly i think you were looking at what like 700 yeah there's like (laughs) 700 people that have filed for it i mean and none of those people are real in the sense that they're going to run a campaign um some of them might be mentally ill some of them might have just done it on a lark like you know these are most of these people are not serious they just registered and technically they'll show up on the ballot as long as you paid the fee and filled out the paperwork but they're not serious and so i mean it's, it gets to an interesting question right like how do we evaluate which ones of these that are running are serious are, are competing um one of the big ways we often um evaluate candidates is their money the raise they're raising right how much money are they raising um because this is important for launching a successful campaign building all that groundwork getting access to the names and email addresses and phone numbers you need so that's kind of one of those big points we look at as well as polls, right? We look at, you know, who's kind of polling, who, who, how are they polling against one another? How are they polling against a hypothetical matchup with President Trump? Well, and I think that's kind of an important aspect because this early in the race, like how we define serious candidates are the candidates that have begun to raise money because nobody's voted yet. And that automatically... Uh, puts preference on on Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders and any other candidate that has previously run a presidential campaign. And Kamala Harris has been doing quite well with fundraising as well, pulling from kind of a lot of women and people of color, which has been interesting to watch. Yeah. So, I mean, there's like a a natural, like kind of, I guess, institutional advantage to these candidates that have run before and built their organizations up while some of these lesser known candidates aren't really there yet. Um, But so it still kind of wins the, the question of, you know, of these candidates that have to build their grassroots organizations and all this kind of stuff. And we're 18 months out. Like, they have opportunity to do that so who would we think is serious because i look at some of these resumes and i was like this person's not a serious candidate they might be getting headlines now because there's nothing else to talk about but they're going to fade away pretty quickly as long as, as soon as stuff starts to heat up and we get you know to the campaigning part of all of this right and we we should note we're about a, m- a little over a month away from the first debate which will actually take place across two nights because there's too many candidates who have qualified um so and and to qualify for the debate you have to be polling at a a certain threshold across a couple polls and have raised um, money from, I think, like 60,000 people or something like that. Yeah, and it's just like PTSD flashback to the early Republican debates where they had like the tier two candidates and then they had the tier one candidates and it was all horrific. 
Right. I mean, like, it really does make a difference if you're on the main stage with those serious competitors or if you're clearly already distanced off the stage. And and one thought is that you mentioned Biden and Bernie Sanders as kind of being two front runners. They may actually be on separate nights. Um, they may put them kind of the flagship people yeah. on different nights to round out those debates. But yeah, again, um, I mean, that adds like being on the stage, if you're a lesser known candidate, being on the stage with Joe Biden adds credence to you. Like it adds legitimacy to see you in that same image as opposed to when the republicans split it by essentially their polling numbers <laughs> um and so everybody that was on the b stage they pretty much was just a big signal that these aren't serious candidates like we can listen to them talk but none of them are, are really anywhere because we're not even going to put them on the same tr- stage as ted cruz or donald trump right right yeah and so i mean we've got you know we've got a healthy amount of Democrats running, as, as, you know, kind of in a serious way. I think we're over 20, I think like 23 with Bill de Blasio's announcement today. And I would say, I mean, let's talk about what 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 you think of when you, you see a serious candidate, because I don't want to uh, jump in here and like bias it. But I mean, <laughs> I'm going to say like, I think honestly that if unless you've won a statewide election, um, in the last decade, you're not a serious candidate. So uh, let's start with uh, Mike Gravel, who's running again. He's running mm-hmm. like eight times for he's not one. He was senator from alaska in the 80s and so he's not he's not been in politics in 20 30 years i won an election he he got a little bit of attention in 2008 for like an absolutely ridiculous ad (laughs) Uh, but no one uh, we've all forgotten him since then right yeah so he's not a serious candidate um you know uh, there's some other people in here uh some um eric swalwell um, I'm sure you've never heard that name. Uh, that's because he is a representative from California and California's 53 districts. He is one person. I don't think there's, I mean, if he can't win a statewide election in California, he's not going to win a national election. Yeah, there's several, you know, members from the House that are running and they do have much smaller districts. It's pretty hard to launch that, you know, being in the House to a successful presidential run. So let's go ahead and from our list, and I'm not I don't have a spreadsheet in front of me on these people, so I'm not, I have no idea how many people. Let's go ahead. And again, I'll throw in this uh, Wayne Messam, the mayor of Miramar, Florida. He's not serious. Mayor Pete from South Bend, Indiana. He's gotten a lot of attention. He's not serious because, again, he does not. I mean, if you've never ran a statewide campaign, I don't really trust that you're going to be able to run a national and, and campaign. And yeah, he tends to, he's, he, I, I do think he's gotten more media attention than quite a few members from, like, even the senators, right, about his run. And so whether or not, you know, when he launched, we would have guessed that he'd be as successful as he was, he might end up being able to go farther than some of these people just from the media attention well, he's been able I, to get. And again, that's a good point. Um, and so I say uh, the biggest uh, problems with my little theory here of winning state wide <laughs> is Mayor Pete because I can I don't know how to pronounce his last name, yes, uh, and then Beto O'Rourke from Texas, um, who couldn't win a yeah. statewide election in Texas. To be fair, no Democrats won a statewide race in Texas in decades. Yeah, so <laughs> so again, the the question would be whether or not we should treat them as serious candidates, which I don't know if we should, but I think a lot of people are. Beto is an interesting one, right? He got really close um, in a Senate race in a year where he was pretty good for Democrats, but still couldn't quite be successful. But there was a lot of discussion on why someone like him wouldn't run for Senate. Why is he running for president instead of running for the Senate? Um, And so, and you know, in Texas and helping Democrats in that way. And why? Why do we need all these people running? I like I shared with Luke before the show, one of my favorite recent headlines about the Democratic president 
primary um, is from Vox, and it's the epidemic of random white men running for president, which I think is kind of a nice summary of like this trend where we just keep having all these all these people keep joining the race. Well, I mean, I think the old joke is that if you're a sitting U.S. senator that's not in being indicted, you're running for president. <laughs> well, you know, which is kind of true if you look at this list. Now, I'll say, um, and I guess we're running out of time in this first segment to talk about this. One of the things that I think is also kind of one of these electability criteria, or at least what will define a serious candidates, are the the candidates that are coming from traditional Democratic strongholds. Sure. Kamala Harris in California, Cory Booker in New Jersey, um, clearly like Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders in the Northeast. So, I mean, a lot of these, these candidates that are coming out of states where they're Democratic, and we, we expect them to largely carry their home states, and that's going to mean something. But what I find very intriguing are the Western and Southern Democrats that have jumped in the right. uh, Steve Bullock, John Hickenlooper, that... Bennett, also from Colorado. Yeah. These moderate um, Democrats coming from Western states. Yeah, they've got kind of a tough road ahead of them. Yeah, but potentially could be a lot more appealing in a general election versus Trump, right, as far as pulling independence. Um, that's one that thing that they argued about uh, Bill Clinton when he ran out of Arkansas was that even though he was a Democrat and a liberal, that his Southern accent and his Southern credentials gave him this, this conservative feel. And so he was able to break up the solid South um, and when he ran. And I think that was kind of an important thing. So the question is, if we do break out of some of those traditional Democratic strongholds, if we if it makes these candidates like more applicable in the general election. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like some of these Western or, or Southern candidates have problems winning the primary, but might actually be successful in the general because they tend to be more moderate um, on, on many issues and perhaps appeal to a broader population. Now, so those are all inter- interesting thoughts. Um, and you can think for yourselves what you think of a serious candidate during this <laughs> next break. Um, we'll be back in just a minute. <laughs> You're tuned in to Radio Boise Community Radio, 89.9 FM. This is Oso Negro. We're back on the Big Tent with Luke and Jackie and uh, talking about the Democratic primaries and the, the race for the president. Um, so uh, in the last segment, we're talking about what, who counts as serious candidates, quote unquote, and based on our bias and subjective criteria there, uh, mostly my bias and subjectivity. Um, but uh, this segment, we're going to talk a little differently uh, and talk about what might motivate some of these candidates that we'll call mid-tier, lower-tier. Some of these candidates that you might say uh, don't have a shot at being elected, like what motivates them to do to ruin their lives with a presidential run because <laughs> let's make uh, no like joke about it like running for president uh, does ruin people's lives because it is a lot of work and then um, it's not really much reward even if you get elected governor and I think President Trump will admit that uh, getting elected president probably wasn't as much fun as he thought it was going to be well <laughs> yeah that and that's a whole nother discussion right um, yeah so you know why why would someone run for president I mean I think one thing in this situation we keep having more people enter the race because there's it's no it's not decided yet right like Biden seems to be a front runner Bernie Sanders has a good healthy support but it's still kind of any person's a game to win so I think there's still a little bit of a chance. So we keep seeing people enter. But at the same time, like they have to kind of know that it's going to be a really hard, hard path. So why? What could they potentially get out of it? I think is an interesting question. Well, and also say that that kind of open field feeling, uh, so definitely something we saw in 2016 on the Republican side. I mean, this idea that no, uh, the incumbents aren't running and there's nobody that is predestined to win it. It's not theirs to mm-hmm. lose kind of thing like it might have been for Hillary Clinton in 2016. Uh, but I think that especially if you look at our 
our last two presidents that I'll call that I'll say have non-traditional resumes. Um, certainly, Donald Trump never held elective office. He's a billionaire reality TV celebrity. But even to Barack Obama, even he might have been a sitting U.S. senator, but he was only been in the Senate for two years, and then he'd been in the state Senate in Illinois for four years, I believe. So not this deep bench of George Bush, who was a two-term governor of Texas, mm-hmm. Bill Clinton, who was a three-term governor of Arkansas, two-term governor of Arkansas, uh, the George H.W. Bush, who was, you know, vice president. We kind of go back and back, and we see these governors and all these people with entire careers and lifetimes of experience, and then our last two presidents have been very different from that. Um, so I definitely think in the last couple of elections, we've had this this feeling that, you know, outsiders might have a mm-hmm. shot. Um, and that's not something that existed 20 years ago. And so I think that's an important thing to think about. I agree. And I think there's actually an appeal for outsiders. I think there are some voters that really like the idea of, of people who are not beholden to the party that will kind of, you know, use it, you know, almost mavericky or, you know, kind of go their own path that a little bit of a, that populist element as well. So I think you're right that that does open up for more candidates to fill confident in running and especially someone like Bernie Sanders doing going quite far even when Hillary Clinton was clearly the party favorite had a lot of resources behind her suggesting that you don't have to be the party favorite the party insider favorite in order to be successful so I think that hits on one of the I guess I'll call it motivations for some of these outsider candidates and I think a lot of them are motivated by that opportunity like all right I'm gonna make a difference um, and I think that's what gets a lot of them in this race um, that they believe if they get elected that they they will you know be able to change things because they're on the outside but even running um, I know a lot of candidates and I've seen this before that say they stick in the race because they want to raise issues mm-hmm. and I think that's really one of the, the most important uh, impacts that Bernie Sanders had for in the sure. last election was he stuck in the race long enough to challenge Hillary Clinton on a lot of things that otherwise she wouldn't have been challenged on mm-hmm. and some might argue that hurt her in the general election but I think was an important part, uh, a pertin- important thing that happened during the primary. The Democratic pri- or platform is substantially different because of Bernie Sanders' run, and so many of these candidates are talking about issues that stem from his kind of messaging and agenda. So I, I think you're right, you, especially if you're very kind of you have these ideological goals, these policy goals. You can maybe you aren't successful, but you change the the issues on the agenda or the fro- the focus of of the party moving forward and so that can definitely be one um, one benefit you could bring um, by running additionally maybe you're angling for another position maybe you want a cabinet position maybe you want to be VP the VP nominee maybe you want um, to help raise your um, you know like um, more attention on you for another kind of opportunity it can also running can also be successful for that those reasons yes I uh I like the cynical, the cynicism here, Jackie, assuming that all these people are just out for themselves, which I think is uh, pretty accurate for some of them. But, you know, I think there is something to say. You run for president, you uh, spend other people's money, and you get a whole lot of attention and possibly a, a job promotion, right? And maybe I've been watching too much Veep, which, you know, is all about the wheeling and dealing of, okay, well, we'll bring this person in as secretary of ag, and we can bring along the, you know, the Iowa farmer vote or whatever. So so maybe that is influencing my, uh, my evaluation too much yeah no i mean just because there is a very interesting uh partisan political advocacy coalition part of this but there's also like the regional math of mm-hmm. oh wait we need to get somebody from iowa so we can get the region like the, we need a western person and a southern person to bring all these coalitions together but no I, I i think the cynical perspective on this explains at least what some of these people are doing um to draw attention to themselves um or certain issues that they're mm-hmm. interested in yeah like um 
let's take a Bill Weld, for example, and then that would be the only Republican other than Donald Trump that's mm-hmm. currently running. Um, I would argue that he does not believe that he's going to get elected. I would argue that he's doing it to bring attention to the, his libertarian cause and get his name in the paper a little bit. And again, that's not a bad strategy because even if you, you just you change the discussion, right? And so that can help move the party and those uh, thinking about those issues further down the road. Yeah. So. Any other motivations we need to think about with these people? I mean, I think, you know, some of them, like, we don't want to overlook that they care deeply about helping people or the country and feel this is a way that they can help do that. I think there are different populations. We've got a lot of diversity among the Democrats in terms of gender, race, sexual orientation, backgrounds, in addition to ideology, where they could be wanting to help promote and represent different populations. Really interesting that came out this week. So Cory Booker's campaign was trying to help people donate to Kirsten Gillibrand out of New York because they want her on the debate stage because one of her issues is abortion and ensuring women have access to abortion and along with the states, several states passing restrictions recently on that, they really want her to be able to talk about that, which I thought was really an an interesting um, element of cooperation between two senators running for president. No, no, that's very interesting. I I mean, again, um, and and I think it's, it's worth saying that with this many candidates, the question is like you're only going to be have it able to own so many issues um and i think if she owns that it's interesting because it means that cory booker doesn't have to talk about it or well, that too yeah, yeah. right so I'm, I'm i'm wondering if this is part of uh if he approaches this as like oh this is an important issue or if she owns it i don't have to i'm not going to get this question because she's going to talk about it right i mean that that would be what i would think that that at least some of this gaming of the system goes along with right it's also interesting like the, some of these senators know each other quite well right they've been working together for a while and so then to be competing in this way is kind of an interesting change in their relationship well yeah and i definitely think to you know that end um it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in terms of trying to keep a united front and a democratic congress against president trump Mm -hmm. um, and how much of that jockeying for position and grandstanding and what are going to be some very interesting legislative battles in the next year or does it just further crack the democratic coalition yeah exactly and i mean uh cory booker in particular during the uh, mueller hearings right was accused of or not the mueller hearings the uh uh, Brett Kavanaugh hearings yeah. of grandstanding. I think somebody said, you know, oh, the the senator who's running for president and then uh, kind of accused him of that and, and for making some of the comments he did. So, I mean, that's definitely an interesting aspect of all of this. Right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Um, we'll be back here in a minute. We got a hot blast of airwaves coming down the tubes just for you guys today. This is Mac DeMarco. Thank you so much for tuning in. You've reached the best radio station under the Lord's sun. Bless you. All right, you're back on the uh, Big Ten on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. And we're talking about the presidential races. Um, and uh, wrapping up, uh, you know, we're talking about who was serious candidates earlier, um, what motivates these people to get involved. But let's uh, kind of go in a slightly different direction and talk about, you know, the electability factor. And so me and Jackie were talking about that earlier. And it, it's kind of interesting because it's this kind of obscure concept of people vote for candidates because they seem electable. Um, and what's I guess almost ironic about it is you vote for candidates not because you like them but because you think they'll win so it's like oh wait i'm gonna do what every i'm gonna vote for this person because i think everybody else likes them not necessarily i like them and i find that to be very uh very weird uh that that is some type of factor that plays into the our thinking about presidential candidates so let's talk about a little bit like what who we think is electable out of this you know group of people 
Well, first I want to briefly, you know, like follow up a little bit. There's a, the research finds it's debated. We don't know how many people actually vote in thinking about electability. However, in primary elections, it always comes up, right? Like, well, who can be the best candidate in the general election? And again, like some voters are voting by ideology no matter what, right? But it does seem to play a role that some people are concerned about. Well, who can beat President Trump or who can, you know, beat whoever's going to face in the general? And so then we do end up with these questions because right now the person dis- discussed the most as electable is Joe Biden. Yeah. Well, I mean, he has won a national election, even if he wasn't top of the ticket. But no, I just I think the math of it or the I guess the, the calculus of it, right, is like any Democrat that'll win. Does not matter as long as we have a Democrat and I'll vote for that person. I'm definitely backing away from some of the understandings of self-rational behavior and how we're well supposed to be. And I've said this earlier um, that, you know, a lot of theories says the reason that the democracy doesn't work is because we don't act self-rationally enough that we do think of things like electability and altruism and all this. And this is where the system breaks down. So. Let's talk about how, well, people don't really understand who they should be voting for. Well, and I think one thing with a, a concept like electability, it often may, we may draw on stereotypes when trying to evaluate who's electable, which we, especially for a position like president, we often are envisioning and talking about it as, as a man holding the position. So we may just kind of think about a man being more electable in that role. And so there's some concerns that if we think about who's electable, that could harm some of the women or people of color running for office. Additionally, those that uh, maybe have different types of backgrounds or or just don't have as much prominence as someone like Joe Biden. So, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned earlier there's a really diverse field of these Democratic candidates right now. Do you think that diversity aspect hurts them in terms of electability or at least perceptions of electability? It's hard to know, right? Like, I, I think that there is there is a challenge there. But I think that... We, we know gender and, and, and racial elements can play a role in how people vote. It doesn't seem to be a huge group of voters, but it, it can matter. But what may happen is a voter would be fully happy to vote for a woman, but when thinking about electability and who can beat Trump, then they just may think about a man more rather than, than one of the women candidates. No, no, that's, a, that's interesting, uh, particularly as, you, as we think about, um, I mean, again, there's a lot of big names in, in this race that are not your old white men. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Cory Booker, uh, Kristen Gillibrand from New York. I mean, Kamala Harris. I mean, other Elizabeth than, Warren. Yeah. I mean, other than and Joe Biden and, and Bernie Sanders, who are you're really like when you close your eyes and think about like old white dudes, that's what they both look like. I mean, they're otherwise like there is a lot of diversity. Yeah. And there's, you know, like a lot of diverse perspectives that come along with that as well. I was reading one coverage about a, a, a voters in Iowa and his quote was that, um, you know, he likes the women that are running. He just doesn't think that they can win. Um, so his hope is that Joe Biden will select one of them to be his running mate. And I was like, OK, well, that's an interesting way to kind of go about it. But I do think that there are are people who be like, well, personally, I would vote for a woman, but I think other people won't. So then they kind of discount how electable a woman could be in that position. And again, going back to like that, that concept of electability and how it's kind of ironic is that we don't end up voting for the candidates that we want to win, which means that they're unlikely to win 
because we don't think they'll win, right? That's just kind of a, a catch-22. Or, I mean, right. I mean, just just very contradictory in the way that we think about this. Um, that if we just approach it like, oh, wait, this is the candidate that represents my call, like represents my interest and voted for him, possibly these women would be just as likely to win as the men Right. Would. Well, that's what, there's a lot of research that find, you know, we're not sure how much strategic voting occurs, but what also happens is people may think they're strategic and then it may actually not be that strategic. And so it's like this complicated calculus that many of us may not do very well. Yeah, no, I, I think that we're, again, we were talking about that before the show earlier, um, is is understanding what is self-rational, like what is your best interest when making these kind of voting decisions? And few people really understand that. Um, like when, when we go back to like, uh, say, uh, Obamacare, uh, a lot of the people that didn't support it would have benefited economically, like financially, like would have had better access to healthcare services and it would have been cheaper and all this type of stuff, but they didn't support it. Um, and so again, their understanding of the policy and understanding of a lot of politics was not good enough for them to make themselves like understand what their best interests were. Or we, we put partisanship and ideology above um, those types of factors yeah. that kind of make it hard for us to view things through anything but that partisan lens. Which, again, it's, it's interesting to think about this aspect of electability because that's at the point we're saying, like, all right, as a candidate, you don't actually have to represent everybody's interests. You just have to convince everybody else that you are more electable than everybody mm-hmm. else. And that comes back to the idea of good com- campaigners get elected, not good governors, not good mm-hmm. managers, not good uh, elected officials, but good campaigners. Hence, our current president, who is an amazing campaigner, yep. and you can say a lot of things about Donald Trump, but he's really good at campaigning. Not so much it's good at the other stuff, but, you know, that's not here nor there. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, President Trump is a very good campaigner. He's an intuitive understanding of how to be successful in that realm. And, and one thing we should note is, you know, 90 percent of voters vote according to their party in the general election. So thinking about who is electable versus Trump in the general election. Well, I mean, to some degree, those voters are kind of locked in already. Just it depends on their party. So is the better strategy to focus on the candidate that will bring your base out or focus on the the candidate that might be a little less popular in your base, but appeals to independents? And that's a great question, right? And that we get back to about those moderates from the West, right? So maybe they struggle a little bit more in the primary, but maybe they could bring together more people in the general. Or maybe you're thinking about someone like Bernie Sanders, who has all this grassroots support that could be kind of energizing um, some non-traditional Democratic voters. Yeah, no, like, so when you think about Biden, I mean, I, I think Biden splits vote. Like, he, the base shows up for him. I don't think he appeals to independents. He doesn't appeal to Republicans. Trump is the same way. I think maybe a lot of independents stay home. But you look at somebody like, you know, Bullock from Montana, um, you know, Hickenlooper from Colorado, some of these moderate West, maybe they appeal more to Republicans that are not interested in Trump anymore or some of these because there is some unhappiness there right and yeah. so it's possible there are some Republicans looking for other options but it's hard to think you know someone like Camilla Harris uh, Elizabeth Warren they seem kind of unlikely um, just ideologically to pick up some of those types of voters yeah no so I mean that's kind of an interesting I, I guess trying to figure out what the strategy is and and for better or worse like there's nobody at the Democratic Party that is figuring out the strategy for everybody it is just depending on what the, the primary voters 
think. Right. And the way, again, the way diffuse support works now, so many independent spending groups and, and, you know, all these candidates have a lot of their own donor base. They don't really need the party support. They could go quite a while. And so I I kind of expect this primary could last quite a while, um, just like the Republicans had did in, in 2016. Yeah, no, that'll be interesting to see also if it hurts the Democratic eventual nominee um, going through the uh, stretching out this primary or if it just brings more attention to that and Donald Trump is a is a kind of an afterthought for a while and so um, it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out over the next 18 months so if you enjoyed the segment understand uh, that for the next 18 months you'll be hearing it uh, not only this station but really all the news sources we, everywhere we promise not to go too much on the the presidential primary coverage yes we'll have a uh, Jen remind us that we talk about it too much every once in a while and so we'll talk about instead the Oscars or show tunes or something along those lines. All right. Well, I think we're out of time for this week. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Big Tent on Radio Boise. Um, Please keep tuned for more great public affairs shows.